I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, local yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Angela. Fascinating. A few very short words, verses, but they are packed with meaning for us. Father, I ask today that our eyes and our ears would be open to your word and that your word would have its transforming power in each of our lives. Make us more like Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. In another context, I was preaching on these particular verses and the, the person who was uh, doing the Bible reading was a little bit unsure about the names and named them odorous and insincere instead. <laughs> and I thought like, well, maybe the pronunciation wasn't right, but it certainly got the meaning. Because when our relationships are out of whack with one another, it becomes insincere, and there's certainly a bad smell about the whole thing, isn't there? <laughs> well, yep, they've understood that reading. Well, these three verses of Scripture, that they are so powerful, and they are so in your face because they describe an area of our lives that is full of incredible danger, our relationships with one another. Christian relationships are just as tangled up and messy as relationships outside of the church. We've all got some problems. And these particular verses, even though they're short, they apply to every single one of us. Because Paul is talking here about a situation where one believer in some way has wronged another believer. Now you can't tell from these verses who did what or who wronged whom first. And that's actually rather wonderful because you can fill in the blanks. You can make it up for yourself. You fill in the details. And these, these verses, what happens if you take them now and apply them to yourself, put yourself in the reading and look at your relationships, you fill in the details of your relationships where they're not 100% with one another. Just put your name there for a moment. You're like, okay, there's me and the other person. There's one thing which, which comes really loud and clear from these verses, which is you need to get your relationships sorted out. And you need to do it now. Why? Because disunity is a tool of the devil. It really is. So let's not give him any hold over this fellowship of God's people. Now you might notice that this has been a particular theme of my preaching for some 10 years that I've been here. It's really important that we sort out our relationships with one another. And unity within the church, within this fellowship, is vital. Why? Because unity enables the Holy Spirit to do His work. When there's unity, the Holy Spirit comes in great power. Now, if you need more reasons to seek unity, think about it. Look at the book of Acts, if you would, for a moment. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. Talking about unity. They all join together constantly in prayer. This is a church that gets together to pray. What happens as a result of that constancy back being together in prayer? Have a look at chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came... They were all together in one place. Again, there's that whole theme of unity. And the Holy Spirit comes upon the church for the first time. 
and God comes with great power. Have a look at chapter 2 of Acts, chapter 2, verse 41. Those who accepted the message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's not a bad gospel service, is it? Eh? 3,000. Imagine the problems. We've got issues with our building now. <laughs> what a cool problem to have. Yeah, very exciting. 3,000 converted. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. So God is working with signs and wonders. And look at verse 47. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's the church in action. And I know that's the beginning. You expect something exciting then. But you know what? The Holy Spirit has not been withdrawn from the church yet. I'm expecting that now. Right? Let's have a big picture of what we can do when we are together as God's people in unity and the Holy Spirit is working amongst us. So the Holy Spirit comes when there's unity. And when we, there's also great spiritual power when we are working together in unity. Our unity is the key to, to being a spiritually powerful church. Listen to our Lord Jesus as he prays for us in John's gospel, John chapter 17. John chapter 17, verses 20 to 26. Jesus is praying, and he's praying for all the believers. That's you and I. Jesus is now praying for us. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. What's he asking for? Unity of the church. It's a drip in that little bucket over there. That's all right. There's a few drips around here. <laughs> Listen to what Jesus is saying now. Focus. John chapter 17, verse 21. He says that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. So Jesus is praying for us to be so together, so of one, that we are just like he and the Father. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So our unity is so important, because a church that is in, in unity is working wonderfully, working powerfully, and God is working through us. He says, I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And there's lots more verses, words there you can read for yourselves. But the, the unity of the church is so important. Jesus has been praying for us that we would be one, that we'd be united together just like he and the Father are one. And then the Spirit works with great power. So unity is so incredibly important. Unity is the key to receiving God's answer to this prayer that Jesus was praying for us. And God also answers our prayers when there's unity. Our unity through forgiveness is the key to answered prayer. Have a look at Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 11, verses 22 to 26. Fascinating passage of scripture. Jesus says, have faith in God. <clears throat> I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. This is really important. Key to answering our prayers is that we are walking in forgiveness. 
of everyone all the time. No exceptions. A place where forgiveness and unity prevails is a place also where prayer prevails. So how amazing is that to be thinking about it? That we know we can have our prayer prevailing. But it depends on our unity. It depends on our forgiveness. Because you see, when there's unforgiven sin in your heart, it becomes a barrier between you and God. I don't want any barriers between me and my Father. So I've got to forgive everyone, everything, all the time. That's so important. There's a penny drop for you. Forgiveness is the key, isn't it? Forgiveness, 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 and yes, a bit more forgiveness. So let's turn back to Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I long and love and long for, my joy and my crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Do you hear Paul's heartbeat here? He really cares for these people. This Philippian church that he's writing to, he loves them, he longs for them. It's more like a love letter than a rebuke of any kind, this particular letter. He loves these people. He calls them his joy and his crown. Now, you might recall, you know, little kids have parties, you put on party hats. Well, in the old days, in these New Testament times, when you got together for a celebration, everyone wore a crown. So this is about us getting together, celebrating the love of God, wearing the crown. And in fact, I'm looking forward to receiving a crown one day at the great feast that's going to be in heaven. We're all going to be wearing crowns then too. A great feasting time. Wearing a crown. How incredible that's going to be. But what does Paul want these people to do? He says, I want you to stand firm in the Lord. He says that elsewhere in Philippians in chapter 1, verse 27. He stands firm, stand firm, stand fast. Live that way. Live in the victory, trusting God's strength. The trouble is that we can only know God's strength if we are obeying God. When there's a problem in the church, when there's disobedience, when there's disunity, we're not obeying God, are we? Love one another. Forgive one another. Those are the commands. We're not doing that. Then there's disunity. Then there's disobedience. So that's a problem. So Paul goes on in verse 2. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syndicate to agree with each other in the Lord. So there's two Christian women here who are out of fellowship with one another. And we're not told what the problem is just to fix it quickly. So there's a warning to us too. We need to maintain our Christian fellowship with one another. Now maybe you're thinking, oh Martin, come on, two women fighting with one another, what's unusual? <laughs> Happens all the time. Yeah, well, maybe. So what's so serious about it? I'll tell you what's so serious about it because it's no laughing matter, I can promise you. We giggle about it now, but there's no laughing matter, none at all, because it denies the gospel that Paul had been preaching to this church. Paul describes his ministry as a ministry of reconciliation. People are to be reconciled to God and they are to be reconciled to one another. That's the outworking of your reconciliation to God. In Ephesians chapter 2, he says that God even made it possible for those who hated one another, the Jews and the Gentiles, to put aside their antagonism and to come together in one body and enjoy peace in Christ. How incredible that is. It says in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 14, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one 
and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Brothers and sisters, there's actually no reason for any of us to be out of fellowship ever with one another. God has made it possible for all of his people to live together in fellowship through the sacrifice of Christ. When you apply that and work it out and understand what it means for you and then apply it to your relationships, we can sort out our differences if we really want to do so. So there's a great truth that Paul tells us about our relationships in here. Have a look at verse 3. He says, Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are written in the book of life. See, Paul was grateful. He was grateful to Euodia and to Syntyche because they worked with him in the Lord. They worked with him in spreading the gospel. They are, in fact, believers. These are born-again people. They will go to heaven. Their names are written in the book of life. Is your name written in the book of life? It's so very simple. ABC, remember last week? Admit, believe, confess. Admit that you've fallen short of God's standard of holiness. Believe in Jesus Christ. He lived, died, and rose again for your sake. And confess Him as your Savior and your Lord. A, B, and C. You can remember those letters. You can remember the whole deal. So these are believers. Their names are written in the book of life, but they are no longer working together. They're no longer working side by side. They've turned their backs on each other. Now, when you see an old Western movie when people turn their backs on each other, what are they doing? They take so many steps, turn around and shoot each other, don't they? <laughs> That's what's happening here. Now, we might be not shooting guns, but shooting words. And they cause just as much damage. So Paul longs for their reconciliation. And he asks a mutual friend to intervene. Now this tells us something very interesting. If any two people are out of harmony within the congregation, it's the responsibility of the rest of us, the rest of us, to make sure that something happens to sort this deal out. So who's responsible when two people are having a barney? The rest of us. I'm not pointing at you, by the way, sorry. Yeah. That's interesting because disharmony, disunity, cripples the church. And that makes the prayer of Jesus for our unity to be ineffective. And that means the sick are really, rarely going to get healed in answer to our prayers and the lost are rarely going to be saved when there's disunity in the church. So we cannot turn a blind eye to this sinful behavior. And that's precisely what it is. And the burden of responsibility lies with all of us. We need each other to get right with God. And we need each other to get right with one another. That's why God put us together in a church. To help each other. Now the world might say, mind your own business. But eradicating sin is our business. Within this congregation of God's people. Because sin hinders the work that we are doing. In fact, I even believe that it actually delays the return of Jesus if we allow this kind of sin to exist amongst us. Because Jesus is waiting. He's waiting for the gospel to be preached to all the nations before he returns for his bride, the church, which is us. But our preaching is ineffective if we are not working and praying as one unit. So let's get it sorted out so the Lord Jesus can return 
and get us out of here and take us to heaven, which is a better place to be. Do you agree? All right. So if there's disunity, we can try and serve God, but we'll be doing it in our own strength. And our hearts won't be right with one another. And then nothing much happens except the wheels fall off the bus. Now, this, this is my third church. I've been pastoring in three churches. And I've seen it every time, exactly the same pattern of behavior. When we start having barnies with one another, we become ineffective in our work of reaching out. Nothing happens. You see, our actions speak much louder than our words. Our lips may say that God is love and that He can reconcile people to one another, but if our lives say the opposite, our preaching is ineffective. People are going to look at you and say, ah, a bunch of hypocrites, whatever you're saying is not true. We're out of fellowship with each other and our words have no power in that case. So what is the remedy to the problem? We need to get to that bit because we recognize these, these issues happen, okay? They do. But there is a remedy. It's two part, there are two parts. There's the responsibility of those that are outside of any dis disagreement. So you're not part of the barney that's going on, but you recognize that this is happening. What you need to do is rebuke sin. You just say, hey, excuse me. You're doing something wrong here, guys. You're affecting the work of God. See, Paul would not let the sin continue in the church. And how much more might happen in our lives if we really called sin, sin? When we're having a dispute with one another, say, you know what? You're actually involved in a sinful problem. This is a sinful situation. You're falling short of what God has called you to do. Let's call sin, sin. Let's stop patting each other on the back and saying how nice we are when there are broken relationships. When we see it, we need to help get people reconciled to each other so we can eradicate that sin problem from this place. Then we really will be a nice people and a wonderful people. And we don't need anybody to tell us that. So the responsibility is, first of all, those that are outside of the argument. But the second part, these two women in the particular instance, they were, they were to admit they'd sinned by being out of fellowship and they were to seek reconciliation. But... Have you ever been in a barney with someone? Yeah, who hasn't? Come on. This is really hard. Who's going to take the first step? Oh, isn't that, that sucks, doesn't it? Yeah, okay. I've been there, done that, it's hard. Who's going to take the first step? Well, what does Jesus say? Let's have a look at what Jesus tells because he gives us some really helpful things to deal with this. Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. This particular instance, the so-called guilty party, the one who's sinning, has to take the initiative to be reconciled. Let me read the verses to you. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So you remember that your brother has something against you. They've got something on you. It doesn't matter about the reality of the situation, okay? I know you're fully justified. I always am. I don't know what your problem is. But I remember, you've got, you've got a problem with me. So Jesus says, well, you remember someone's got a problem with you? You go and be reconciled to them. Get it sorted out. Go and apologize. And I've, look, I've apologized for stuff that I haven't done just simply because I wanted the deal sorted. You know, and I, and I, what I recognized was there was actually just a, there was another perspective. 
I was fully justified. I knew I was right. They were completely and utterly wrong. But you know what? I'm really sorry that you feel this way. And I want to be reconciled to you. Would you forgive me for what you're feeling about me? And I just deal with it in that fashion. Yeah, have a big heart for a change. You know, just deal with it that way. So if, you, if you're the one who's the sinning party or, or you, know, you know someone's got it, the, the goods on you some way, go and sort it out. But there's also another bit where the, the innocent party, the so-called innocent party, has to take the initiative. This is Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, oh, verse 15 and, and onwards. If your brother sins against you or your sister... Go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. So in this particular instance, someone sinned against you and you are now taking the initiative to talk to them and say, listen, when you do this, it has the following impact on me. These are the things that I feel. Point that out to them. And God willing, you'll be able to be reconciled to the other person. If that doesn't work, you can up the ante a little. But if you're not listen, take one or two others along so that every, atom, every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So you've up the ante a little bit. You're taking someone with you now. Verse 17, if you refuse to listen to them, tell it to the church. If you refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, that simply means you're treating this person now as someone who has not received Jesus in their heart. They need to be born again. Obviously, the Holy Spirit is not working in them or they're just grieving the Holy Spirit big time. I say, well, okay, if that's the way you want to behave, if I've pointed it out to you, if we've talked to you, if we've all talked to you and you still want to behave the way you're going to behave, I wonder that you haven't got Jesus in your heart and I need to treat you as that kind of a person. doesn't mean you can't forgive them, by the way, but you simply treat them as a person who needs Jesus. So you preach the gospel. You love them in that respect. But whatever you're going to do, you must forgive them. Now, I've been in this kind of situation where the other party has decided, you know what, you can take your bat and ball and do whatever. And they go play somewhere else too. That happens. And I know that happens. There are times when, when they simply will not be reconciled. But your responsibility, your responsibility is to do your best and reach out with love and make sure that you are forgiving because it breaks the chains. It really does. It breaks the chains. So do you hear what Jesus is saying here? It doesn't matter whether, if we go back to Philippians again, whether Euodia or Syntyche is responsible. It doesn't matter who's the guilty party. Both are responsible before God. They need to take the initiative to seek to be reconciled. But not only do they need to take the initiative, it also applies to all of us. We're all of us working on our relationships all the time. Whether we're the guilty party or the innocent party, as Christians, we are to take the initiative and seek reconciliation in one way or another. This is so important, not for, only for, for our witness to the world, but also for our physical health. It really is. Before I was a Christian, I had some problems uh, with my spine. I went to a chiropractor, and uh, he was a bit of a spiritual kind of a bloke. Don't know where he, where he was at spiritually or anything, but he was a spiritual kind of man. And he's poking around in my back, and he says... What are you angry about, Martha? Well, oh, he pushed me up. I'm not angry about anything. So I let him have it. And I thought for a moment, oh, hang on. He kept poking me there in my back, and I'm going, oh, that hurts, man. And he says, well, he says, look, I can realign your spine, but it's going to come back real quick until you deal with whatever it is that's making you so angry. I'm like, oh, I didn't expect that. 
Not from a chiropractor. So we've got to deal with things because, you know, broken relationships affect us in so many ways and they can even affect us physically. Listen to King David, who knowingly sinned against God's will. So David is now the guilty party. In Psalm 32, verse 3, he says, When I kept silent, my, my bones grew old, or they wasted away through my groaning all day long. So he went through physical, emotional stress till he came to God in repentance. In verse 5, he says, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. See, it affects you in your bones, on the inside of you. When you don't have forgiveness in your heart, when there's, when there's a sin problem you haven't dealt with. And you might be living in stress as the guilty party as David was. But as you come back to God in repentance and ask His forgiveness, He can cleanse you of your sin. And you can come and ask forgiveness of the one that you hurt. And it may open the way of reconciliation there. And there's going to be a liberation of a, of a deep peace in your life. Have you noticed it? That when you're having a, a disagreement with someone, everything's just, life's just not the same anymore. If a smile goes from your face, it really affects you big time. But when you get to that place of reconciliation, the burden is lifted, the chains are broken. You're lighter and you're brighter on the inside again. And we can get just as stressed when we're the innocent party as we face life with rejection from others or, or even worse. But this stress can all be released. The healing can flow to us when we forgive the one who hurts us. Forgiveness is so strong. It really is. Could it be that you've carried around the stress for a long time in your life? Am I speaking to you today? What are you carrying around? This burden of stress, of unforgiveness, and the root causes of broken relationship. And you might be thinking, well, when they apologize, I'll think about forgiving them. Or only when people recognize that I'm the innocent party, that I'm the good guy, only then will I forgive. Well, when you're like that, you're going to carry it with you still longer. It's going to hurt you more. Paul wouldn't have anything to do with such thinking. He saw our duty before God is to take the initiative and to seek reconciliation. It didn't matter who was guilty or who was innocent. Get it sorted. Both were to take the initiative in reaching out in forgiveness. There's no release from stress, no freedom through forgiveness when we say only when they. When you adopt that kind of attitude, you've lost already. Healing comes when we choose to take the initiative to forgive the other party whether they want it or not. You just set yourself free from the whole deal. Walk in forgiveness. As for the rest of us, well, what does Paul say to the rest of us? He says, I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, for the rest of us, if we're not embroiled in the disagreement, if we are to be true companions, think about a yoke for a second though. Okay, a yoke fellow is someone who walks in the yoke with you. In the old days when they had heavy burdens, they used to put them on a, on, a, on, a, on a wooden frame and carry it. So you can carry a lot of weight when you do that. The frame distributes the weight over your shoulders. But if you have a two-person yoke, both of you can carry even bigger load by distributing the weight. So Paul is now saying, you loyal yoke fellow, you faithful worker alongside me, you true companion. If you are to be a true companion and carry the burden with everybody else, stick your bib in for a moment and say, hey, how are you going? Is there a problem between you and so-and-so? I've noticed things are a bit stressed at the moment. 
warn them, hey, you know what? You're part of the body of Christ, and so am I. And if we don't deal with this, our work's going to be hindered here. And it's going to take longer for the Lord to return. Do you want that? No. Well, maybe we need to sit down and have a cup of coffee and talk about this thing. Help others achieve reconciliation. No one gets off the hook in these scriptures, do they? Whether you're part of the problem or whether you're just observing the problem, no one gets off. It speaks to all of us. We have a work to perform in the power of the Holy Spirit. The scripture says, forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. If you've been forgiven, you can forgive. Receive God's forgiveness first of all. And having done so, you can pass that gift on to someone else. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for the incredible power of your word that works to transform our lives and point out our issues in our relationships with one another. Father, I pray today that we might take hold of these three verses of Scripture and apply them to our lives and keep really short accounts with you and with one another. And help us, Father, also to be, to be observant of each other and notice when some, someone needs some help that we might be able to come alongside them, help them solve their difficulties. And Lord, I know lots of us just don't feel qualified to do any of these things, but we do have your Spirit in us. And it's through your Spirit that we've been given words of knowledge and ability to, to reach out with wisdom and with love and to do that ministry of reconciliation. So enable us, Father, not to depend upon ourselves, but upon your Spirit who is in us, who enables us to see and to say and to do what we need to do. And might that be for your glory, Lord, so that you might return soon, we pray, in Jesus' name.